and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you for joining me once again today. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, except last Wednesday. And you should check me out on Instagram as well, at Speak a Dogcast. Hey, if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star review. Let me know what you're thinking. Would love to know how you're feeling about the show. And again, I do apologize. Last week, there was no episode. It was a little last minute of a decision. I needed a week off. Um, <laughs> look, I'll be honest, guys. We had a we, we did our second renovation on the house. And thank goodness we're completed because I'm exhausted. I'm mentally drained and physically drained. And it's just anybody out there that's had, a, had a, <laughs> any kind of renovation, you know what I'm talking about. And especially right now, it's just crazy. And I needed a week off. So that's what happened. Uh, <laughs> But I'm excited to be back here. I'm ready to get back into the podcast today. And today we're going to be talking about bonding with your dog, how you should do it, what you can do to increase that relationship, make your relationship better with your pup. Then we're going to talk about spaying and neutering your dog, right? Definitely an interesting topic, a lot of varying opinions on that. So we'll go over some of that as well. Then comes the first pet's followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, keep them coming my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you today's trivia question, and that question is, what do you call a female peacock? Yes, what is the name of a female peacock? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, bonding with your dog. Everybody wants to have a good relationship with their dog, with their pets, and you have to bond with your dog, right? You got to bond with them in order to have that good relationship. And there's more to it than that, right? Because bonding, everybody thinks of bonding as, as you know, really affection. That's That's what's going to come to mind for you when I say, hey, you know, bonding with your dog. You should bond with your dog. Everybody should bond. You're thinking affection and cuddling and snuggling time and maybe food and treats and love. And that's all fine and dandy. It's wonderful. (laughs) You're not entirely wrong. Uh, That's a part of bonding with your dog. But the other side of bonding with your dog is structure, routine, boundaries, discipline, rules. Believe it or not. That is how you bond with your dog. Now, it's not just that. If it's just that, then where are we? You know, then you have a dog who's like, oh, all this is a structure and routine and discipline and boring. Okay, so it's not one-sided. It's not all love. It's not all discipline. It's balance. Now, there are certain things we can do to increase the bond with our dog, more so than just the average, you know, average working with our dog and hanging out with them. Um, we're going to talk about all of that today. We're going to try to kind of cover that spo- uh, full spectrum on all the different ways, all the different ways to bond with your dog. Okay. So when it comes to bonding with your dog, like I said, everybody tends to uh, levitate, gravitate, levitate, (laughs) gravitate toward the affection, the food, the treats. We're all really good at that part, aren't we? Like you're awesome at that. Who isn't? But what everybody else, what, what what a lot of people are really terrible at is the discipline side, the structure side, the rules side, the not giving in side follow through, right? Uh, These things do add up to bonding with your dog. Look, guys, if you think about, it can relate, and I I try to, you know, it can relate to humans. I try not to do it too much humans, dogs. I don't want to humanize a dog, but at the same time, the psychology is all the same, right? If you've listened to me 
blab on here before you've heard it. It doesn't matter whether we have a dog, a cat, a bird, an emu, a lobster. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little basic there. But you get what I'm saying? Every animal on this planet, we all work the same way. We all do. The psychology never changes. Never changes. Okay, the motivation, animal to animal changes, but the psychology does not. So if we think about when we're little kids and we're growing up now, this is my own personal experience, right? My parents were not I wouldn't call them authoritative by any means because I had friends that had authoritative parents and yeah, I'm good. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't authoritative by any means, but my parents had rules. They had boundaries. They had structure. And my job as a child was to stay within those boundaries, within those rules, within that structure. And if I did, you know something? Life was pretty damn good. <laughs> it was. I was really lucky. I had an awesome upbringing. And my parents made it very clear, like, dude, just get, they didn't say dude to me, but hey, dude, uh, get straight A's and you can have, do whatever you want, you know, like get straight A's, do what you need to do in school, uh, get done your, do your extracurricular activities too. And yeah, you can do whatever you want. And I like to think at least for the most part, I'm a well-rounded human being <laughs> for the most part, right? So if, if that's the case, then I kind of have to come to the conclusion that, well, my parents not being pushovers and at the same time not being extreme authoritative parents, that brought balance to my life as a child. It really did. Uh, my parents, I, I knew I was loved. My parents told me they loved me. They showed love, affection. Um, but at the same time, like I said, step out of line and pff, you're grounded. You're in trouble. There's consequences for your actions. Okay? So we can take that exact thought, you know, and, and, and guys, to the point, I don't hate my parents, right? I still talk to them. So it wasn't like this, this discipline thing made me hate my parents and resent them. No, it actually made me understand what it takes to be a contributing member to society. Crazy. Uh, and so it's no different with our dogs. In order to teach them how to be a contributing member to the pack, to dog society, dog society, there you go. Um, that's silly, I hate that. Let's, let's pretend I didn't say that. All right. <laughs> In order to be a contributing member to the pack, there has to be rules. There has to be boundaries. There has, uh, boundaries has to be structure. And there has to be affection. Now, I have a pretty open and good relationship with my parents. I did for the most part growing up as much as a kid is going to, right? Um, and I do now as an adult. For the most part, right? <laughs> Hi, mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> so you could theoretically say, I mean, I bonded with my parents, my family, my siblings. We, we did. We bonded as a family. We really did have, overall, a very healthy and cohesive family relationship. It's actually, I, I'm pretty damn proud of that. And I mean, it's my parents, but it, it was pretty awesome. Like, my brother and my sister and I, we really got along very well. Very well. I mean, like unbelievably well as far as comparison to most siblings. Like that's what I saw at least growing up. Um, and I really attribute that to my parents and the way they brought us up. They brought us up with morals, with values, to stand for something. Uh, all right, all right, we're getting off topic, but but it's it's true. I'm bragging on my parents a bit because they they made a good relationship with me. And it's no different with your dogs, guys. It it really isn't. How we bond with them is going to be different. Like, like the actual what we do, you know, but, uh, but as far as the structure, the rules, the, it's, it's kind of all the same stuff. Okay, so you kind of have to think of yourself as a parent to your dog. Look, right? I hate this term that I'm about to say. <laughs> a lot of you out there love it. I hate this term that I'm about. Fur baby. Y'all call them your fur babies, but you treat them like your first spoiled rotten little brats. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, guys. If you really view yourself as this parental figure for your dog, and in some way you should, 
then you have to do what you have to do to create a good relationship and bond with them. Okay. So, all right, there's, there's the setup to it. It's not always what you want to do, but it's what you know, know is right and what you need to do. Okay. So bonding with your dog, <laughs> look, first and foremost, guys, you know where I'm going with this every damn time. Walk your dog. Creating a proper walk is by far the best way to bond with your dog. It really is. I can't stress it enough. A proper walk is the very best way to bond with your dog. It provides rules, it provides boundaries, it provides stimulation, structure, reinforcement, taps into that instinctual side of dogs, right? So there's really no better way to bond with your dog than leading them on a good walk, good pack walk, you know? So really think about that. Uh, if, if you if you feel like maybe your walk isn't where it should be, hey, go, go back and check out some of those other episodes on the walk. There are tons of segments on the walk, <laughs> all kinds of great tips to get you started there. Uh, so be sure you check that out because I really, I, I, I don't believe it. I know it. The best way to enhance the relationship with your dogs, and this is the way I do it with my own dogs, first and foremost, is that walk, okay? Um, you know, the next thing is overall rules, overall structure, overall boundaries, guys. Believe it or not, yes. You know, it really does. Little, okay, so here's here's what it looks like. Do you open the front door or the back door and let your dog out and your dog just bolts without even looking at you? If the answer is yes, you could be taking that moment to make your bond with your dog better. Put him in a sit, put him in a stay, give him a treat, open the door, tell him stay. We're going to start to create a new exercise. When we walk out the door, instead of just, we're going to sit, stay, wait, and look up at mom or dad for direction. Look up at the owner for direction. Guys, the more you can create that focus with your dog, and the more you make them kind of work for that matter, right? They need to work. They need something to do. It gives them, it really increases that bond. They look at you as that leader. And if you really want to bond with your dog, that's the relationship you have to have. You have to be the leader and they have to be the follower. It's just the way they're wired, guys, you know? Um, so think about, again, go, just compare back to kids again for a second. When you're a kid, I mean, look, I loved when my parents taught me how to do something. Part of it might have been that I was the youngest kid, right? So I always wanted to be like, you know, my older siblings and do all the cool things that mature kids are doing. So, I mean, anytime I was taught how to do something fun or new or like, or, or, or a new responsibility, I enjoyed it to some degree, right? I got pride rather out of, out of accomplishing it and, and working, if you will. So we can provide those same kind of tasks to our dogs that in turn actually make them you know, kind of proud of the fact that they just worked and they did it and they accomplished it and that, and, and make them making you happy about it and reinforcing, go, yeah, you know, they love that, right? Think about it. When you work your dog and they're all happy because you work them and you're going, good boy. Okay. So if you want to bond with your dog, you got to work your dog, work them, give them something to do, make that brain go because it really enhances. Look, this is why I go back to doing tricks a lot. This is why I tell a lot of my clients, you really should teach your dog some fun tricks. Um, you know, it's fun. I mean, it is, it's a lot of fun to do, but it gives your dog something to do and it can build confidence in your dog too. Okay. So working through tricks is really a fantastic way to bond with your dog. It's awesome. I, I love doing tricks. Sometimes it takes a little patience, you know, I've, I've spent, I mean, geez, some really complicated, uh, behaviors that I'd like, I would do when I used to work in an animal show and we had a lot of dogs that would do, and some of these complicated tricks would take you weeks to train because maybe it was like a five or six step kind of uh, routine that you had to do with the dog. It wasn't just one trick. It wasn't just a gimme paw. It was like this whole thing. Um, and I mean, man, I'll never forget that feeling 
and, and how my dog looked when we accomplished that, like they could tell that I was like ecstatic that we had done all this work. And I mean, you could, you know, you, they, they feed off of that energy. They don't know, you know what I mean? But they feed off of it. And then they in turn are excited that you're excited. And again, it's just a bonding experience. It really is. And you'll find if you get it, if you find it, you know, work, work with your dogs, guys, teach them tricks. And when you go through and you hit a trick that all of a sudden is giving you some trouble and it may take you a little while, it's going to be so sweet once you get it. Like, it's just, it's awesome. It's a really cool feeling of accomplishment and that bond with your dog. It's just so neat. Like, you can't even explain it. Um, so, yeah, tricks are a phenomenal way. Phenomenal way to bond with your dog. You notice what I haven't said yet? Sitting on the couch and petting your dog. I'm not saying don't do it, but I already know all of you already do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no point in me telling you to do that. Uh, and you can do too much of that, believe it or not. Look, too much of anything is not a good thing, right? Like, I mean, when you think about it, too much water. If you drink too much water too fast, it can kill you. Too much milk too fast can kill you. Too much sun can kill you. Uh, too much fattening foods can kill you. <laughs> it's all about moderation. And that's a struggle, isn't it? Uh, but no, it really is when it comes to your affection with your dog. And for that, anything, anything, right? You don't want too much discipline. You don't want too much affection. It's about balance. And when you create balance in those things, it creates balance with your dog. And when you create balance with your dog, then you can bond with them. Okay. So it really is like a full spectrum thing to bonding with your dog. It is. It's how you treat them. It's how you work with them. It's what you reinforce. It's what you punish. And of course, it's the affection too. Like I truly believe you can't have an amazing relationship, an amazing bond with your dog without that affection too. I, I, it really, you know, that affection is a very important part. It goes back to instinct. It goes back to them being young with their mothers. I mean, it, it, you can't, you can't not do that, <laughs> but it's all about the right time to do it and bringing the discipline side. Because think about it, it goes back to mom with the affection. Well, guess what guys? It goes back to mom with the discipline too. What's who, who's the first, what's the first thing in the world to discipline puppy mom? Yeah. Mom disciplines them from the get go. So you have to view bonding as this full spectrum thing. It starts with exercise. It starts with tapping into instinct and getting on a good proper walk, creating that leadership role to your dog, being a leader, getting them to listen to you, doing bonding exercises, not just the walk, but teaching them tricks, doing fun things like that. Look, going for fun field trips with your dog. I mean, I hadn't even mentioned that, but doing fun activities in general, Getting your dog out, doing different things, seeing different sights, sounds, smells, doing it in a healthy way and controlling them and being the leader in those moments while you're doing it, that also very much enhances the bond with your dog. You know, look, I love the fact that we've, my, my wife and I in the past year, we've been so lucky that we've gotten to take our dogs on vacation with us a few times. Now, there are times I would love to leave my dogs at home and just relax and turn off. <laughs> we do that as well. Um, but how cool is it? I got to take my dog, again, little Florida boy, but I got to take my dogs up to the mountains and go hiking. That's something we just don't get to do. Sure, we go hiking here, but let's be real, guys. Hiking in Florida is a walk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's, there's no elevation changing. There's no beautiful sights, uh, mountain views. Uh, I love Florida. I really do. And I love the swamps and the palms and all that. And it's beautiful. But beaches, how can you not like the beaches? Uh, but you know, getting out there and doing something different, going for a hike in the mountains with my dog. It's a way we can enhance that relationship, enhance that bond, you know? Um, one other thing about, and I guess this kind of goes back to if you have an anxious dog, you know, I said it before, you really can't, 
you just you can't you can't create an amazing bond with your dog if your dog is an, is very anxious. They just you just can't. Um, and so one great way, as we've talked about before on this show, uh, actually it was last episode training opportunities, you know, that's when we talked about it specifically about getting your dog out into, into public places like Home Depot is one of my favorite places, Home Depot and Lowe's, uh, getting your dogs out to the gardening section, making them hop over bags of mulch, different, different textures, different things under their feet, getting them to do awkward things to build their confidence. Building your dog's confidence is like a number one for bonding with your dog next to a walk and walks do build confidence. So you're kind of hitting two, you know, killing two birds with one stone there. Um, but yeah, you know, we think, we think when we have a dog that's anxious that we're supposed to almost let them be anxious or suppose, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, it's okay. No, don't tell them it's okay to be anxious, push them through it, have them build some confidence, get them through that moment. Your dog will be so excited if they come out on the other end uh, confident and happy versus cowering and anxious. So if you can push them through a moment where they're scared, like again, you know, we talked about, again, I'm not going to get too into it from the last episode, but go check it out, training opportunities. Um, you know, we talk about the fact that like I had a dog who had some anxious issues when I got her as a puppy. She was terrified of the world. And bringing her out of her shell required me to push her through those moments where she felt anxious. And that bond I had with that dog, uh, I'm, I, I'm literally getting chills, guys, like thinking about it. I mean, what an incredible experience it was to, to build that, the, the, the life I did with Miss Penny Lane. My wife and I, what we got to do with Penny was awesome. It was awesome. And we had such a close bond with her. Um, such a close bond. Like, oof. And she was a confident dog by the end. You know, confident dog by the end, way before the end, you know, and we had an amazing bond. And I truly, I know, I know that building that confidence in her and pushing her through those anxious moments, not only made her happier, healthier, confident, more but it made our bond just strengthen so much. It just, it strengthened it. There's no, you can't replace that with anything. Be a source of strength to your dog. Be a source of confidence to your dog. That's how you bond with them, okay? It was no different. Look, again, one more time, going back to the whole parents and kids thing. There wasn't for a second, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful for this, I really am. Never for one second as a child did I ever doubt my, my safety, my well-being, my, you know? It never even crossed my mind for a moment because my parents were confident, they were strong with their leadership and love, and that made me feel awesome and good, you know? I mean, why would it not? Any kid's going to love that, would feel safe with that. And so I want you to just remember that. If, you, if you've experienced that feeling as a kid, when you're, you know, nothing bad could happen. Your parents took care of everything, and that was, that's cool. It's amazing. Put that onto your dog. Let your dog feel that. Because that, that's how you make a great bond with your dog and with your kids. It may not be apparent, but I sure as hell know that. So think about the way you talk to your dog. Think about the activities you do with your dog. Think about the way you work with your dog and find ways to help enhance that bond you have with them. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. 
Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Dogcast, spaying and neutering your dog. Now, this can be a controversial topic. Everyone's got opinions one way or the other, somewhere in between. <laughs> so we're going to try to cover as much as we can. Now, look, first thing I have to say is I am not a veterinarian. I'm not a medical professional. My expertise lies with behavior. Uh, it's not to say I don't have knowledge on the subject, but it is not where my expertise lies. And again, I'm not a vet. Uh, so if you have any real questions about this, guys, please always contact your veterinarian. Uh, make sure you're talking with your vet about your dog, your dog's breed, and what specifically is going to work for you and them. With that said, <laughs> there are a lot of things we can talk about and truths that I can point out, facts that we can point out today. And I'll give you a little bit from both sides of the aisle. At the same time, look, I lean one way. I'm telling you, I lean one way on this subject. My opinion is one way, and that's just it. It's my opinion. It's the conclusion I've come to over the years after talking with my own colleagues, other veterinary professionals, reading all materials. You know, this this is this is my opinion on what I think of spaying and neutering. At the same time, like I said, look, there's some facts in here you can't deny, but you got to do what's best at the end of the day for you and your dog. Here's my opinion. Ready for it? I think everyone, most everyone, most everyone, I can't say everyone, I'm gonna say most everyone because that's true, most everyone out there should be spaying and neutering their dogs. Yes, you heard it right. Most everybody out there, but not everybody, but most everybody out there should be spaying and neutering their dogs. I said it. Ah, doesn't it feel better? Um, <laughs> I know a lot of you out there agree with me. I'm sure there's some of you out there that disagree with me. Uh, and that's just fine. But we're going to talk about it, okay? Look, first and foremost, there's the obvious uh, obvious one, right? Like, this is the most obvious thing about spaying and neutering. We have too many dogs out there. Too many dogs. There's too many dogs in the shelters. There's too many breeders. There's too many backyard breeders. There's too many dogs. And for that matter, way too many cats. Think about how much cats have just absolutely wreaked havoc on ecosystems all around. They have. If you're not aware of this, you know, obviously, guys, what do cats eat? Like everything and anything they can get their claws on. A lot of bird populations have suffered, right? Uh, even amphibian and reptilian populations have suffered in some areas. So, Cats are a big nuisance, as dogs are. They can be if they get out of control. And so that's that's part of that's that's the biggest thing right there. We have got an overpopulation problem. So the worst thing we can do is keep breeding them. Like, come on, guys, you know, we, we should be doing we should be breeding responsibly. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that's just it. We're not really doing it responsibly. And that's why the population has gotten out of control. So first and foremost, I mean, that just seems like the most obvious thing. This isn't even an opinion on uh, on what's right or wrong about Spain. Guys, the fact remains, 
there's too many dogs out there that don't have home. There's too many dogs out there that end up sick and injured. There's too many dogs that have to be put down every year. So why do we want more? Spay and neuter your pets, okay? Preventing a litter is good for you guys. It's good for your pet and it's good for your communities. Think about it, all right? Um, like I wish, I wish we didn't have to have animal rescues. You know, you know what I mean? Like I really wish we didn't have to have dog rescues. But the sad thing is, and the sad truth is, we we do because there's too many out there and not enough homes, right? Spay and neuter your dogs, guys. Come on. Uh, all right. You know that aside. What about all the health benefits? I'm sure you guys over the years, if you're a pet owner, if you've had dogs before, at some point or another, you've probably heard that there are health benefits to spaying and neutering your dogs. There, there is a chance that your dog can live longer, healthier life uh, if you spay and neuter them. Let's talk about just spaying, right? There is this common misconception that, um, you know, we have to wait till our dog reach, you know, a female dog, for example, she has to go through her first cycle before we spay her. That's one I hear quite often. And that's actually not necessarily true. You know, a lot of a lot of professionals would disagree and say you really should do it before their first cycle because doing it before their first cycle will greatly reduce the chances of developing breast cancer. Well, obviously, guys, spaying a female dog is going to completely eliminate the threat of uterine or ovarian cancer and even uterine infection. Now, these things are really common occurrences in unaltered female dogs. I mean, it's just documented evidence of it. So that alone is a health benefit of spaying your female dogs. Now, neutering male dogs, guys, obviously that's going to that's gonna prevent testicular tumors. It's going to prevent any prostate problems. It's going to prevent uh, perennial tumors and hernias. Now, these, again, these are commonly observed in older, unaltered male dogs. Okay? How about cats? You know, for a second, male cats, they're actually been, they're less likely to roam when they're neutered, Right? So the threat of abscesses from bites and diseases transmitted from fighting because of that, greatly reduced. These are all things that are really kind of proven, uh, documented things that spaying and neutering your pets is good. Okay. Now we could talk about the behavioral side. Look, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if you were not able to fulfill certain basic sexual instinctual needs that you have, it's going to create frustration, is it not? So if you have a male or female dog that doesn't ever get to mate, they're going to become frustrated because instinct tells them to get at it, right? That's how they survive. And if they can't, it's got to create a lot of frustration, pent up energy needs to be released, and it doesn't get released. That can cause behavioral issues. That can cause aggression. I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying 100% certainty, because I know there's people out there that are, David, my dog's intact. He's just fine. Well, that's great, guys, but I've seen a lot of intact dogs at like a dog park that do nothing but create problems. Now, sure, we might be able to argue, hey, that's a lack of training. It's pure behavioral issue. But guys, I, I've seen it where it doesn't, it does cause issues in training sometimes. But to me, I can't like, I can't measure it, right? I can't like go up to an intact dog and go, oh, you're going to, let's see, on a scale of one to 10 of how much you're going to give me a hard time today, because <laughs> you're intact, it's going to be a 7.5 and this dog's going to be a nine. I can't do that. So as a behavioral expert, I have to go, look, if I can't measure and control this testosterone, I have to eliminate it. 
You have to eliminate any biological factors that are working against you. When I go in with a dog with aggression issues or any kind of severe issues, um, I mean, I, you know, we look at it that way first, even with any kind of behavioral issue. But especially when we get to the more severe stuff, I tend to go at those dogs and go, okay, has this dog been medically evaluated? Is there something medically or physically wrong that is working against us that's either causing the issue or working against us? I can't measure how much the testosterone is working against me, so my best option is to eliminate it. If I can eliminate biological issues that I can't control, then I know they won't be a problem. But if they're there and I don't know how to measure them and I can't control them and it's just a big old fat question mark, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? From a behavioral standpoint, come on. So spaying and neutering your dogs to me is the only way to go for training purposes. I mean, guys, look, unless you're breeding, unless you're a and <clears throat> don't get me started on these backyard breeds. Guys, look, unless you are a responsible breeder, unless you are a breeder who has dedicated their life to researching, to making sure they're providing a quality line, that they're breeding a quality line of dog, unless you're doing that and fully committed to it, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't be doing it. There, what did I say at the beginning of this? There's too many dogs out there, guys. There's too many dogs. There's too much irresponsible breeding going on, creating dogs with health issues, there's more to breeding than just putting a male and a female together, okay? Leave it to the experts, and it benefits everybody, all right? So unless you're those people, you don't have a reason. You have no reason to keep your dog intact. I mean, that's just what it is. I'm sorry. It's the truth, okay? That's the truth. So, look, there are there is some research. I will say there is some research, research that will say that there are health issues that could potentially arise from spaying and neutering. But I'll say this. Out of eight dogs that I've had, all been spayed and neutered, not once has there ever been any health issues that could have possibly been related to them being spayed and neutered. You know how many clients I've had over the years that I mean, I've watched the dogs grow and age and no health issues that could possibly be related to their spaying and neutering. So when I see that many, it's statistics, right? It's numbers. But when I see dogs that are intact, they do have issues. They do develop issues later on in life. They have behavioral issues. There's clearly a correlation there, you know? So really, you should be spaying and neutering your dogs. If I said that, I don't know if I've said that yet. If I said that, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, look, guys, you'll also hear all the excuses of why you maybe shouldn't spay and neuter your dogs that are just not true. Like one of one of my heroes, my, my my dog will get fat and lazy. I don't necessarily buy that. It may diminish their activity, overall activity, a little bit, but really what's happening is it's diminishing their instinct to mate. You know what I mean? That's the activity that's being eliminated. And a lot of times when that activity is not fulfilled, they get frustrated and that's where we get behavioral problems. So if anything, it's only going to make your pet better. And for that matter, once again, eight dogs, guys, and all eight of my dogs from my Chihuahua through my half lab, half great Dean, through my half lab, half St. Bernard, through my Goldens, through my half golden, half lab, through my, my mix, my, my Kuna, they're all spayed, neutered, all of them. And they all went for walks every day of their life and loved it. They all had fun hikes. We did all awesome outdoor activities. They were never lazy. Your dog's lazy if you let them be lazy. Okay. They're, they're like a mirror. So whatever you give off, they're going to give off. So that's just not true. It's just not true. I'm eight for eight on that one. So nope. Um, <laughs> how about my pet's personality will change? Eh, wrong answer. Nope. Never happened. Never seen it. It won't change your pet's personality. It's not going to change who they are. It's just not going to happen. Never seen it. Won't happen. Let's move on. <laughs> 
How about I'm concerned about my pet going under anesthesia? Okay, there's one I like. Yeah, sure. I don't want my dog to have to have surgery if they don't need it, but guess what, guys? They need it because the health benefits of spaying and neutering are going to vastly outweigh any of the potential problems of not neutering them. Okay, it's, it's, it's a clear imbalance to me of keeping a dog intact for no reason. Look, a lot of times, even for breeding, they'll end up spaying and neutering them after they're done breeding. Okay, so you've got to think of this as a benefit to your dog. It really is. It's a benefit to your dog. I understand you don't want your dog to go under anesthesia, but guys, come on. Like, it's, it's literally the most commonly performed surgery on pets in the United States. Happens all the time, and the risk is very, very, very low. Now, I will say there are certain breeds, there are certain dogs that the timing of spaying and neutering is different. And there are particulars to certain breeds. So once again, I have to throw it out there that make sure you always talk with your veterinarian before spaying and neutering your dogs, guys. Um, most every dog out there should be spayed and neutered, but the timing of it can be different, okay? So be sure you check that out. Know your breed. Again, talk to a uh, veterinary expert about those particulars. Um, you know, now look, the general consensus that I come to about timing of spaying and neutering, because that's one I get a lot. The general consensus that after talking with colleagues over the years, other veterinarians, you know, multiple veterinarians over the years and reading, reading about it, the general consensus, and again, this is a generalized consensus on when you should spay and neuter your dogs, six to eight months. Six to eight months for females, you want to do it before their first cycle. And I know that goes against the common misconception of you want to let them go through one. No, if you read veterinary experts will agree before the first cycle, guys. Six to eight months is that generalized timeline. But again, some breeds are different. Some breeds you want to wait longer. It really depends on the specific breed. So talk with your veterinary expert. Have I said that yet? Uh, <laughs> but look, I really hope that kind of eliminated some of the myths for you, gave you some of the facts, gave you some of the understanding. Again, guys, there are pros and cons to spaying and neutering, but in my opinion, and it, it, look, it's pretty easy to see just factually, spaying and neutering your dog vastly out, the benefits of it vastly outweigh the benefits or the cons of a not spaying and neutering your dog. So something to think about, always talk with your veterinary professional and remember, get out there and spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he served from 1933 to 1945, taking office as the 32nd president of the United States. Now, FDR, as he came to be known, he is the only president to be elected to more than two terms, which allowed him plenty of time to have a lot of dogs while in office. <laughs> yes. Now, first on the list is Major. Major was a German shepherd, and he was a former police dog that was donated to FDR while he was governor of New York. He was one of two dogs that the Roosevelts brought with them to the White House. However, Major did not always get along well with everyone. Sounds like there's a common theme among presidential dogs, doesn't it? Uh, he was actually known for chasing around the maids who did their best to fend him off using brooms and dust mops to keep him away. His aggressive tendencies landed him in trouble. Get this, the first time that FDR invited a foreign dignitary to the White House during his presidency, British Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald had his pants nearly ripped off while visiting the U.S. After this incident, it was decided that Major should live back in their Hyde Park home in New York. Now, the other dog that came to the White House with the Roosevelts was Meggie, the Scottish Terrier. She was an eight-year-old dog that the press reported was very fat, 
hated baths, liked to sleep near fireplaces, and made a big stink anytime Eleanor was around. According to a March 1933 article about Eleanor and her dogs, the United Press said, Maggie is strictly a one-person dog, that one person being Mrs. Roosevelt. <laughs> the article went on to call the dog possessed of plenty of nerve and fighting spirit. Now, even Major, a former police dog, quote, knows better than to pick a scrap with her. The article continued on. Now, in interviewing Mrs. Roosevelt, because Maggie was right there in the room, uh, Furman, the the uh, the reporter, she patted on the sofa next to her and Maggie jumped up beside her. Now, she looked at Maggie and said, Maggie, have you been a naughty dog? And she followed it up with, come now and confess to the public what you have really done. With perfect timing that could not have been better, Maggie gave the reporter a sharp bite on her nose. Sounds like there was maybe some separation anxiety and possessive issues going on there, huh? <laughs> now, one of FDR's favorite dogs was Winx, the English setter. A lot of the Roosevelt dogs were not the most well-behaved, and Winx was no different. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Press reported in an article from February 27th, 1934, that Winx had once discovered an unattended table in the White House that was filled with breakfast food. Puppy ended up going from plate to plate eating bacon and eggs that had been set for 18 people. <laughs> the next dog to enter the White House was the old English sheepdog, Tiny, who of course was anything but Tiny. Now, there wasn't a ton of information about Tiny, but there are reports that the dog was gifted from a woman named Helen Rosier on uh, April 30th, 1933. Now, short-lived because the dog was actually gifted over to Admiral Carrie Grayson, a physician and friend of FDR on January 9th, 1934. So Tiny didn't spend a lot of time in the White House. Now, there were some other dog visitors that stayed only temporarily while in the White House. FDR's son, Franklin Jr., he was known to leave his Great Dane with the president, uh, and he spent one such holiday in 1937 at the White House. Now, the name of the Great Dane was President, <laughs> and President became famous when he was at the White House during a royal visit. Now, with Europe on the brink of war in 1939, FDR extended an invitation to the British royal monarch to come to the White House. This marked the very first time a British monarch had set foot on American soil. Now, unlike some of FDR's other dogs, President, thank goodness, behaved himself during their stay. But the most famous of FDR's dogs was Fala. Fala the Scottish Terrier. Now, Fala was given to FDR as a present from Mrs. Augustus G. Kellogg of Westport, Connecticut. His name was originally Big Boy, but the president changed his name to Murray, the outlaw of Fala Hill, after a Scottish ancestor. Now, Fala was always close with FDR. Every morning when the president's breakfast was brought up to him, there was a bone on the tray for Fala as well. The president loved this dog and happily showed off his fun tricks all the time. Now, Fala also accompanied the president on many trips and occasions. One such trip to the Aleutian Islands in 1944. Oh boy, rumors spread very quickly that Fala was accidentally left behind on the island. It actually became a bit of a controversy because the return trip to pick Fala up cost the taxpayers millions of dollars to send a warship. FDR loved Fala very much and would clearly do anything to keep him safe and with his family. Fala was well-loved by the public and getting thousands of letters each year. There was even a movie made in 1942 about Fala's life, which can still be viewed today at the Roosevelt Museum and Library in Hyde Park. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. 
First question today comes from Ellie from Charlottesville, Virginia. Ellie asks, my puppy is still having housebreaking issues and she is a six-month-old golden doodle. I have pee pads by the door, which she will use, but she also uses any and all rugs in the house. She will go outside as well, but there does not seem to be any consistency. What can I do to get her going only outside and on the pee pads? Ellie, first thing I'm going to tell you is get rid of the pee pads. That's a big, big, big mistake. No pee pads. They're unnecessary. And clearly, as your dog is showing us, they're confusing your dog. Okay. Uh, pee pads are just terrible. And look, you said it right in the question. Using the pee pads in any and all rugs in the house. You hear that, guys? There's a specific rugs, as in the dog is associating a pee pad to be the same thing as a rug. Ah, this is why I wish pet stores would stop carrying these stupid pee pads. Don't get me wrong. They have their uses. There are reasons. There are times. Look, I've had people that go out on a boat with their dog, like a sailboat, and they're in the middle of the ocean. Pee pad's a good option, right? <laughs> people that are 20,000 floors up in the air in an apartment, pee pad might be a good option, right? Uh, there are a handful of reasons a pee pad can be used. Puppy training is not one of them. I know. They try to tell you, everybody tries to tell you pee pads, that's what you need, that you have to have those for puppy training. It's in the puppy handbook at the pet stores. You have, no, they just want you to buy more crap. <laughs> like guys, can we, okay, look, can we stop for a second and think like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, how about a thousand years ago? We never had pee pads and people still house broke dogs and taught them not to pee in houses. Now dogs always weren't in houses until much more recently, but nonetheless, we've been able to house break dogs without pee pads for a very long time. Very, very long time we've done it without pee pads. Why do we think we need pee pads all of a sudden? We don't. That's the answer. Okay. So I'm, so, <laughs> I'm sorry to kind of go off there, but man, it's becoming a pet peeve of mine. Stop with the pee pads. Okay. So that's the first thing. We have to rid of the pee pads. Now, your job's going to be a little difficult because you have to be diligent and you have to be on it. This is going to take a little bit of focus from you. And I know this isn't going to be easy and I'm asking a lot. You got to keep eyes on your puppy like you never have before. <laughs> okay, look, you need to limit your puppy's freedom a little bit, whether that means putting baby gates up so you can always have uh, your puppy in an area where you can see them, um, see her, you know, then by all means, puppy gated up. If not, your dog needs to be leashed to your side. Okay, you need to be watching her so closely, so very closely, that if you so much as see that nose start going to the ground and sniffing around like she needs to be, you're taking her outside. Okay, might not be a bad idea to keep a leash in your pocket uh, because you want to be able to leash her up, get her outside fast. Now, Ali, the next, the next part is very, very important. Make sure you're taking treats outside with you. Okay, you're gonna leash up your dog, take the, take her outside, uh, start circling her around, making that circling motion like puppies do, saying "Go pee." Right? Not crazy. We don't want to go, go pee, go pee, go pee. Nothing like that. Just nice and go pee. Give her a couple seconds. Yeah, there we go. Okay, let her do her thing. Good. Go pee, go pee. Right? And then, and I noticed I said two in a row there. <laughs> um, but you get what I'm saying. Right? And then once she does go pee, the second she's done peeing, good girl, make a big deal and give her a treat right away. Don't wait till you go back inside. That treat needs to happen right away right after she finishes peeing, okay? Make a big deal about it, give her affection, praise, all good. Now, if she doesn't go pee, you go back inside, she goes back into a confined area or she's leashed up by your side and you keep an eye on her. 10, 20 minutes go by, you take her back out. Actually, six months old, excuse me, 
20, 30 minutes go by, you go out and try again. She's a little older. She should be able to hold it, okay? So you want to try to create this consistency. But you need to be precise and consistent about it. Now, another thing, make sure she's not over drinking. A lot of times puppies will drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink, so much so that their pee is coming out clearer than the water that they drank, okay? They'll fill their bladders to a point that they physically cannot hold it anymore, and that's going to work against you. So make sure she's not getting too much water. Obviously, make sure she gets enough water, uh, but make sure she's not getting too much, okay? Um, really that's what it's about. It's about controlling her intake, knowing how much she got, when she got it, how long it's been, getting her outside, rewarding the heck out of it with food immediately once she's finished peeing outside, okay? Bringing her back in. When you are taking her outside, make sure you're leashing her up and be consistent about trying to get her to go pee, creating that circling motion as I talked about, okay? There's a lot to housebreaking, but it's really kind of basic. Control input, control output, okay? Reward output, rinse and repeat. That's all there is to it. Do not let her out of your sight unless she has an empty bladder. For that matter, you probably want to keep her in your sight for a while. I know that was a lot of info, but I hope that helps. Next question. Mary from Quakertown, Pennsylvania. Mary says, my dog eats socks. He's a yellow lab. He's almost two years old. We've had to be careful and keep all of our socks uh, put away or he will eat them. I'm really worried that he's going to get hurt. How can I train him to stop doing this? Mary, yeah, look, you got a yellow lab. He needs a lot of exercise, and that's what he's trying to tell you. Um, I would guess you probably are not giving him enough exercise. Uh, enough exercise. You're probably not giving him enough structure, rules, boundaries. Okay, these kind of dogs. These, the, you know, a dog like a yellow lab, they thrive. Every dog thrives with it, but especially something like a yellow lab is going to thrive with that rules, boundaries, and affection. Okay, he needs mental stimulation and physical stimulation. So definitely go back, check out a lot of my different segments on the walks, on stimulating your dog, on how to create extra activities, because that's what you got to be doing. Um, look, quick little story. One of my dogs, Violet, uh, make a long story short, years ago, she was a client dog. She started off as a puppy with me. And at one point she started eating a bunch with the, when she was at their house um, when they still owned her. And to the point that she had to have surgery and she almost died. Uh, serious stuff. So I, not that I want to scare you, but you already know this is serious. And we obviously don't want to see your dog get hurt. Okay. Now, again, make a long story short, I ended up adopting Violet from this family. She came and lived with me. We never had a problem with her eating anything in our house ever. Simple fact, the family was not walking her and they weren't keeping her stimulated. Ugh, tough. Once I started walking her, once I started keeping her stimulated, we never, ever had any problems with it, okay? So I'm telling you, you got to get your dog out there more. Look, maybe you need to look into some doggy day camps once, twice, three, four times a week. <laughs> get your dog that extra supplemental exercise. Maybe you need to take up agility classes, dock diving. Uh, but I, I would start with that good, proper walk, getting that um, walk 85% mental, 15% physical. That's what walks are. So get the mental side under control. Get some physical exercise going. Maybe get some swimming going. Uh, and I bet you anything that's going to solve your problem because really vast majority of the time when we have dogs eating things, it means they're just, they're bored. They're bored and they're looking for something to do. So give your dog something to do, keep them stimulated. And that really should help out with the eating the socks. The answer to today's trivia question what do you call a female peacock? A peahen. Technically, males are called peacocks and females are peahens, with both of them together being peafowl. 
that's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. Find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh,